Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on episode 47 of Podcast Royal, we chat with Christopher Anderson, author of the explosive new book, Brothers and Wives, which claims to answer the question of who made the comment heard around the world about the skin color of Harry and Meghan's future children. Plus, Princess Charlene checks into a treatment facility. We have a double royal christening, and Meghan makes her first talk show appearance since marrying Harry. All of this and more right here, right now. Welcome back to episode 47 of Podcast Royal. How was your Thanksgiving? It was absolutely wonderful. We were just talking about how it feels like it's been a million years since we've hung out. Um, I know. When we (laughs) skip a week, it feels like forever. It was a good break for me, uh, but you know, breaks always go by way too fast. I was traveling, visiting family. And um, one thing that was really, really nice was I spent a lot more time outside this last week than I feel like I have in a while because mm-hmm. you know, I, I work from home and um, it's so easy when you work from home to uh, not make a point of just getting outside regularly every day. And I did that and absolutely loved it. So how was your Thanksgiving? It was really nice. So we have this tradition of going to this kind of luxury resort hotel here in Birmingham. It is so nice to not have to travel for the holiday. When I was in graduate school at Ole Miss and my family still lived back in Kansas, I had to make the trek home, whether it was on a plane, driving. Uh, I, when I was super poor in graduate school, I would sometimes even take the train. Um, mm-hmm. That was an experience. And so it's so nice to not have to do that because my mom relocated to Birmingham a about in 2015 so almost seven years ago that's crazy and so it's so it's I mean traveling has its perks but it over the holidays I will say it is so nice to not have to travel and we had a delicious meal and it was it was really good and relaxing and I did not realize how much I needed those four days off until because I you know I've made no bones about this. I've started a new full-time job. I love it, but it is, it's a huge shock going back into the office 40 hours a week. And it's a shock to the system, you know? Sure. For sure. So it was nice. What are you into this week, my dear? So, you know, I'm into a couple of things. The first one I have to mention is 
the mostly pecan, a paleo pecan pie I made for Thanksgiving. And I say mostly because I think there might have been one ingredient in there that wasn't technically paleo, but it was a totally gluten free, natural sugars, real organic ingredients. Um, pecan pie and it turned out really delicious. You know, whenever you tweak recipes and try to make them healthy, you never really know. And this was my first time making this one. And and the funny thing is I didn't tell anyone except for my mom and sister that it was a healthier version. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody enjoyed it and nobody noticed. <laughs> That's when you know you have conquered the healthy cooking world that so uh, yeah. it tasted really good. It was, it was fabulous. So I'm into that and I'm thinking I'll have to make another one during Christmas. Um, the other thing I am into this week is really just getting into the Christmas spirit. I know a lot of people have probably already started decorating for Christmas. I, since I was traveling last week, I was on the hunt for a tree, so I don't have it up yet, but it's on my list this week. I'll be decorating my tree. I'll be putting up some garland. I know I talked about on a previous episode decorating with some natural elements. So I did buy some oranges at the grocery Mm -hmm. store this week. And I'm going to try that method where you put them on uh, like a cookie sheet and you dry them out in the oven and Mm -hmm. string them with your garland. I'm going to do that this week. And for our listeners, if you have an Amazon Alexa, I hope I'm not setting anyone's off right now, but ask her to play some of the awesome Christmas playlists out there. I've been listening to like the classic Christmas hymns. There's a Christmas jazz station, or if you're into pentatonics, she's got um, their songs as well. So lots of good stuff. And I'm just, I'm just in the Christmas spirit. What are you I? I'm really, 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 really in the Christmas spirit this year. I mean, I'm like not a, like a hardcore diehard Christmas person. I like Christmas just as much as the next person, but I am extra in the spirit this year. And I don't know why, but I like it. Like there's so many Christmas movies that I really don't like watching because they're so emotional and they make me cry. Like it's a wonderful life and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer makes me cry. Uh, Frosty (laughs) the Snowman makes me cry. And so I really kind of avoid all of the more sentimental Christmas movies, because I just don't want to get emotional. But this year I, I said to my mom last night, I said, okay, we've got to find on our streaming services. It's a wonderful life, white Christmas, all of these movies that normally I avoid. And she's like, what's going on with you? Are you okay? But I'm just really into the spirit this year. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. You know, it's just, and it's, it's really kind of, being into that, you know, classic true meaning of Christmas and just focusing on, you know, that time with family and those things about the holidays that, um, are really what Christmas is all about. Yeah. And I was about to say, I don't, I'm not a materialistic person. I'm a minimalist. I don't even really care about gifts. It's really more about the the reason for the season, but I'm about to contradict myself because I'm about to tell you what I'm into this week and it's all materialism. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I I wanted to say first that I'm, I'm into a few days off. As I said, that was lovely. We missed you listeners last week, but it was nice to relax with our families for the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. So yesterday we were recording this on Tuesday, November 30th. Yesterday was Cyber Monday. 
I, <laughs> I definitely did my part to stimulate the economy yesterday, although it was Cyber Monday. So I'm going to tell you the things I got, and then I want you to guess how much I spent on all of this. So this is what I bought. I, I made beauty products my theme of the year. So I got Laura Mercier Illuminating Eye Cream, Ritual Multivitamins, Ollie Probi Probiotic, I can't even say the word, Probiotic Vitamins, MAC Ruby Woo Lipstick, that's a deep red shade that is just beautiful, a shade of blush by NARS that has the initials DT that is probably inappropriate to say on this show, so I will refrain, um, the Summer Fridays Jet Lag Mask, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but uh, guess how much I spent on all of that? Wow. Um, gosh, I don't know that it's my strong suit guessing cosmetic prices, but I would say, I mean, without discounts, we're probably pushing, gosh, $300. So, um, how I'll throw out, let's see, 250, maybe $156. Wow. You've scored all of that. I love cyber Monday. So I, I never, buy stuff for myself. I, I really don't. And so it was kind of nice to just go down my list that I have of beauty products I've wanted for so long and actually be able to buy some of them because they were 40% off or 30% off or 25% off. So, um, that, so that's probably like the only gifts I'll get myself for a really long time. But I, uh, I heard that black Friday sales were down, which makes me sad. And so I decided to stimulate the economy for cyber Monday. So. <laughs> and also I just wanted some beauty products. So, okay, well, we are going to merge into the Royal rundown. So we have, we have quite a big one because we've got two weeks to catch up on. So this is going way back to a couple of weeks ago, but Camilla and Charles wrapped up their Royal tour to Jordan and Egypt. That was of course their first overseas visit since the pandemic. To me, one of the highlights was seeing the couple dip their fingers into the Jordan River, which is where Christians like us believe Jesus to have been baptized by John the Baptist. So the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall are said to have flown home with several bottles of the water, which will be used for future royal christenings, including, I hope, lilies in the future, Sienna's in the future. And I'm sure it was used for the dual christenings of August and Lucas on November 21st. What a blessing that they were finally able to do this and to do it at Windsor so the queen could be there and to have a happy occasion on what surely would have been a hard weekend for her, the queen's first November 20th, which is her wedding anniversary without Philip. Mike Tyndall, who is Zara's husband and Lucas's father, even went on his podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Rugby, which is a great name, and said the day was lovely. So don't you think this had to have lifted Her Majesty's spirits? Yes, definitely. I thought it was really cool that they did a joint christening. Uh, and I think it was probably pretty special for the whole family being there. Um, you know, I hadn't really thought about, um, her majesty's first anniversary without her husband. And I can imagine that would be very difficult, especially, you know, having spent so many years with someone, um, 
you know, I, I just feel for, for that day for her and, and having to experience that day mm-hmm. on her own. Uh, but I do, I, I think it did lift her family or her, uh, spirits to be there with the family. And I think, um, you know, it was probably really special for all of them. And I, you know, I'm wondering when we'll see little Sienna be christened. Um, cause I'm sure she's also coming up on the list of, of Royal christenings. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was probably a really special family event. Well, the Royal boys have had their turn. Is it too much to ask for another dual christening this time with the mm-hmm. girls, Lily and Sienna? Is that too much to ask? Probably, but this would have been the queen and Philip's 74th wedding anniversary. So can you even imagine being married for 73 and a half years? I mean, just, and wow. that would have been such a difficult weekend and I'm so glad that she got to spend it with family and celebrating two new young men in the family so I'm I'm really glad that that got to work out and how cool is it that they got to use I mean I'm assuming they used the water from the river Jordan I mean how how special is that that's that's incredible so yeah I thought that was really cool Yeah, so speaking of Philip, we finally have a U.S. air date for Prince Philip, the royal family remembers. It will air on Discovery Plus on December 16th. We need to find a way to watch that, by the way. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking, does it seem like there have been quite a few royal shows on Discovery Plus, or am I just so used to hearing about this one <laughs> that it feels no, like because all the Earthstock content was on Discovery. That's Plus. right. That's right. Yeah. I feel like that's, uh, you know, I guess it's going to become one of our royal streaming services for us to get content. Who would have, who would have thought Discovery Plus we're going to, oh my gosh, we're going to talk in a little bit about um, the princes in the press, which is I hope will come to somewhere, some streaming service. I don't care if it's Discovery Plus or what it is, but um, I, I really, I really think we need to find a way to watch the Prince Philip documentary because apparently um, everyone's so candid and um, obviously you know, he's just such a beloved member of the family. So we will find a way. I do not have Discovery Plus, but maybe I will have to get Discovery Plus if this is becoming the royal streaming network of choice here in the U.S. (laughs) So while on tour, um, and this is back to the Jordan and Egypt tour, Charles was asked about his mother, the queen's health, to which he replied she was all right. Continuing, once you get to 95, it's not quite as easy as it used to be. It's bad enough at 73. Uh, It's bad enough at 35, let me tell you. So good news is we've seen Her Majesty entertaining in-person guests at Windsor Castle. She did attend the the joint christening, so she seems to be doing okay. So that uh, I can exhale a little bit. So Charles and... Charles is in the news uh, for a lot of things this week. We're going to talk about Christopher Anderson's claims from his book um, in our interview with him. So we're just going to save that for the interview. But at the moment, he is in, and again, keep in mind, we are recording this on Tuesday, November 30th. He is in Barbados right now. He is attending a ceremony marking the country's transition from a Commonwealth realm with the Queen as head of state to a republic with its own president. This is the first time a member of the royal family has attended such a ceremony, which I'm 
you know, obviously very glad he is. This is a huge moment for Barbados, but it's also a little strange, right? Like, thank you for no longer needing us. Um, <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's just me. I don't know. What do you think? No, I totally agree. I mean, that's like saying thanks for, you know, saying we don't need you anymore. I mean, this is a, this is a big deal for Barbados and the queen also sent along her well wishes saying in part, as you celebrate this momentous day, I send you and all Barbadians, my warmest good wishes for your happiness, peace and prosperity in the future. So is, I, I've asked this question on the show before, is this indicative of uh, a domino effect that could come after her reign ends? We won't know until we know, but this is a big moment for Barbados. Rihanna was there. I mean, this, which is, that's her, it's where she's from. So, um, but Charles is there. I don't know. That just seems kind of strange to me, um, but a lot of things these days in the royal family seem strange to me, but Megan had her moment to dazzle a couple of weeks ago in red. It was Kate's turn to dazzle last week as she and William stepped out in a, in not, well, William didn't step out in, it, out in it too, just Kate, in a gorgeous emerald Jenny Packham gown, which is a rewear from she and William's Pakistan trip in 2019. The Cam Cambridges were on hand for the annual Royal Variety Performance in London, which supports the Royal Variety Charity. The money raised from the event helps hundreds of entertainers throughout the UK who need help and assistance for a variety of reasons, including ill health and old age. The performance featured Ed Sheeran, James Blunt, and Rod Stewart, among others, and this year, William and Kate were joined by the Middletons, Kate's dad, Michael, mom, Carol, brother, James, and brand new sister-in-law, Alize, 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 and I, and she's Alize Middleton now, so I don't have to mispronounce her last name anymore. So uh, do you appreciate Kate's rewears like I do? Because I, I distinctly remember that dress from the Pakistan trip in 2019, and I thought she looked beautiful. Yeah, well, first I want to say Alize has a pretty <laughs> cool setup right now. Uh, you know, she gets to live with her new husband, but experience some of the fun of royal life as well. So um, that's really awesome that Kate's family was there with them. Regarding the dress, so I do and I don't appreciate re the rewear. And, and I say that kind of jokingly. I mean, yes, I appreciate it. I appreciate the consideration of her rewearing these gowns. You know, it shows that she's conscious um, of trying to be sustainable and save on cost. Um, and I really appreciate the creativity that comes along with finding new ways to wear them. I mean, we've talked before of the pressure of feeling like you always have to have something new if you take a photo and put it on social media or something. And I think she is such a style icon for so many women. She's giving them permission to rewear um, outfits. And I, I love that. Um, but the flip side of that is I have to admit, it is always so much fun to see a new outfit unveiled for the first time. Um, yeah. So I always do look forward to her, you know, wowing us with something new. And I really think that's part of the reason why the James Bond premiere gown wowed so many people. You know, it was a stunning dress, but it was also the first time we had seen her on the red carpet in a new gown in, in quite some time. Um but regarding the green dress, I, I love the color. I thought it was so beautiful. I loved the sparkle. 
I did see a few photos where it felt like maybe, you know, and it could have been the angle, but I felt like maybe it was a little bit too long. It was kind of dragging a little bit. Um, every time I see a dress like that, I always am afraid that they're going to trip or something if it's, you know, dragging on the ground a little. Um, but overall, I thought it was very classy. I thought it was flattering. Um, and I also, I don't know what your thoughts were on her hair. I would love to get your thoughts. I was going to ask for- you about her hair. I liked it, but a lot of people did not like it. Yeah. So I was a little bit torn um, because normally I really do love the long, soft curls kind of wrapped to one side. It kind of shows off one shoulder um, and it's still kind of neat and in place. For some reason, I didn't love it at this event quite as much. I feel like her hairdresser maybe just missed the mark a little bit. Um, it, it was super thick and healthy, which I really, really liked. And I saw some photos of it where I really liked it. And then there were other photos where I felt like the curls were a little bit messy or maybe it looked almost looked like, uh, you know, us here in Alabama stepping out with all the humidity where it gets mm-hmm. a little bit, um, just a little bit tussled um, in, in a sort of a messy way. And I've just kind of felt like with that dress, I would have loved to have seen something a little more polished, um, you know, a, something, an updo or something I might have liked with that dress. But um, I don't know. That was my thought. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'll be honest with you. That particular dress is not my favorite dress from Kate. I, I don't know. I just, the sparkly dresses, I, they, just, I don't know, maybe I'm just too much of a minimalist. They don't really, it just doesn't really, that material does not really do it for me, but I thought she looked gorgeous. A lot of people had comments about the hair. I liked the hair. Um, I thought it, it kind of felt like old glamour to me, um, mm-hmm. but I, um, you know, I always am going to appreciate a Kate Wow moment. Like the, actually it was Jenny Packham again in the gold glittery dress for the James Bond. But I also appreciate that, you know, she, first of all, it's more sustainable to rewear and it's also more relatable. And, um, you know, and she, I, I can tell that she's trying when she rewears these pieces to do different hairstyles, try out different hairstyles, which is probably mm-hmm. where that hairstyle came from and, um, you know, accessorize it a little bit differently. But um, I mean, it, it was, it, I thought she looked beautiful. I thought, you know, how cool is it that finally we're at a part a, point in the pandemic where we can see Megan and Kate have dazzling moments within a week of each other. Um, I've missed, I've missed that, especially Megan. We never see Megan anymore, but, um, I thought Kate looked beautiful as ever. So this is old news by this point, but Megan appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show on November 18th. This is her first talk show appearance since becoming a Royal. There were a lot of cute snippets emerging from this conversation, but among them, Ellen convinced Megan to adopt her dog, Bogart. This is years ago, pre-Megan had not met Harry yet. Lily is teething. For Halloween, Archie was a dinosaur and Lily was a skunk, but neither were into it. And apparently right before their relationship went public in 2016, Harry and Meghan, along with Eugenie and Jack, went to a Halloween party in Toronto in full costume. Um, I thought Megan was very relatable and I, I laughed so hard at the prank she played on vendors outside of the studio. What did you think? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, and this is where <laughs> you and I are very different here because I 
didn't laugh. I didn't really find it funny. Um, it was hilariously when she said, like, what did she say? Like, mama, mama needs the milk or something like, like, I thought that was hilarious. I see. I felt like it was like overly cheesy, like cringy a little bit. I, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I felt uncomfortable watching it the whole time. And, and I do have to say, I think the real actor in the whole bit was the poor girl behind the cookie table who had to like go along with it and pretend like, you know, she was not thinking what the heck. Um, <laughs> no, but I think that's what was so funny to me is these people are like, Meghan Markle has lost it. Like she has lost it now. And like, I just, I thought that was, I, I thought it was hilarious. Well, so it did bring some questions to my mind, um, just the whole appearance on the Ellen show. Um, my initial thought was, you know, kind of what is her PR strategy going on the show? So I, I do feel a little bit confused on um, how she's wanting to shape her public image. I felt like it was really kind of in contrast with what we normally see from her. Um, it did feel like sort of her version of Harry's appearance on the Late Late Show. Did you, did you pick up on that at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I could see that. Um, like they were both very like silly, included with the silly, pranky over the top kind of stuff. It was like, it was like her version of, of what he did with James Corden. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if she's trying to change her public image or, um, you know, if she's trying to connect with people differently and, and trying to be more relatable. I don't know. I was, I was just kind of thinking of like the overall strategy um, that she took with, with wanting to, to go on the Ellen show. So um, I don't know. That was, that was my thought. Well, and you've you brought up a couple, yeah. You brought up a couple things that you're, uh, you you're kind of bringing a couple things to my attention. Number one, people usually go on the talk show circuit because they have something that they're going to promote, like a, whether it's a movie or a book mm -hmm. or a television show or, and there really, there really wasn't any, in, unless I missed it, any reason for her being, not that she has to have a reason. I mean, she can do whatever she wants, but also mm -hmm. I just thought of this as you were talking. Um, obviously, Megan is staunchly refuting anti-bullying accusations but didn't Ellen have yes. bullying allegations leveled against her so I know they're that friends. that was part of my question with this is you know I was surprised that she wanted to go on the Ellen show because Ellen's had really bad PR um this last yeah. year um so that's a really good point that's a really good thing to bring well, up well I mean I know obviously they're friends um they I think they might even be neighbors and they hang out with each other and she's probably Megan likely is doing this as a favor to a friend um but you know for like you said from a PR perspective Ella, Megan's thing is compassion and kindness that's Archwell's whole MO right mm -hmm. and especially someone that is staunchly, you know, defending herself against workplace bullying <laughs> allegations herself going on a show where this is Ellen's last season, if I'm not mistaken, because in part because at least, of the of, allegations of these bullying workplace bullying allegations. So, I mean, and, and if there were a reason for it to go on the, to go on the show, to promote 
the bench or what like why didn't we do any of this around the release of the bench I don't know I I've Mm -hmm. never understood the royal family's PR strategy and I'm starting to really not understand Archwell's either um but who who am I to judge but anyway so anything else about Ellen that was that was forever ago but uh, I did yeah um, you know, I've never really watched the show, but I did watch the clip with Megan. Um, so I could, you know, kind of get my thoughts and, and talk about it on here. But um, now that was really my takeaway from it. Okay. Well, as I mentioned previously, we saw the queen welcome General Sir Nick Carter, not the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think like, that every time. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Of all people, Backstreet Boy Nick Carter? No, it was not that Nick Carter. In in person to Windsor Castle, I would have taken J.C. Chazé personally anyway, um, which was her first in-person engagement since her October 20th hospitalization. So I love to see her doing well so um some news from the crown which is currently shooting season five cannot wait for this season dominic west will take over the role of prince charles and variety broke the news that dominic's son sean west i think it i think it's misspelled but i think it's sean west will play prince william so that's a strong father-son duo we can't wait to see cannot wait for this season of the crown um and new podcast alert, the BBC's Harry, Megan, and the Media. That's what the podcast is called, Harry, Megan, and the Media. So far, I've only heard the trailer, but I am compelled and intrigued and will be listening. I can't get enough of Royal Podcasts. So speaking of the BBC, oh boy, there has been a lot of buzz about the recently aired documentary, The Princes and the Press. It was apparently so controversial that the Duchess of Cambridge pulled her recently announced Charity Carol concert off the network and switched to rival network ITV. Um, by the way, obviously here in the U.S. we have not seen the princes in the press. The second, the second um, episode in the documentary came out, I believe, last night. And so I'm very anxious to see that because it's apparently controversial. So um, Kate will take a lead role in this charity carol concert uh, at Westminster Abbey, which of course is where she was married. It will take place on December 8th and will raise funds for charities that the Cambridges care about. The special was due to air on the BBC, but after the documentary was released, which touches on William and Harry's relationship with the media, it has now been pulled to ITV. And even more surprising, this really must have gotten under the royal skin, was a rare joint statement from the three royal households representing the Queen, Prince Charles, and the Cambridges, which said, a free, responsible, and open press is of vital importance to a healthy democracy. However, too often it is overblown and unfounded claims from unnamed sources that are presented as facts, and it is disappointing when anyone, including the BBC, gives them credibility. So, I mean, in the royals never complain never explain culture to hear a statement like this must must mean it irked them and got under their skin so what is your take on all of this and that kate pulled the special from the bbc and took it to itv is you know pretty strong statement in and of itself yeah i mean you took the words out of my mouth i literally was going to say the two things that initially stuck out to me was her pulling the um the charity concert and the joint statement um and i actually when i was putting my notes in here i 
put, you know, we talk a lot about the never complain, never explain mantra. Um, and so I think the statement is pretty telling without coming right out and complaining and explaining. Um, you know, it sounds like the royal households are pretty upset about this and they don't agree with what's being reported in the documentary. Um, I think they must feel it's inaccurate or unbalanced. Um, it's really kind of hard to say without being on the inside. Um, you know, but I think if Her Majesty is involved in a joint statement from all three households, that's pretty serious and it's something that she feels strongly about. So I'm wondering how much the BBC will be negatively impacted in the long run if they lose the support of the Royals. Um, well, you know? yeah, and they're already, the BBC is already on the Royals, you know, shortlist for the Martin sure. Bashir situation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I need our British listeners to do us a solid and, and slide into our DMs and or email us and tell us what some of the most controversial parts of this documentary are because we'll eventually get our hands on this documentary but here in the U.S. When, when it's on the BBC it takes forever like the Prince Philip documentary we are just now getting to see it December 16th it's been out for at least three months so uh, let us know what it says because um, you know I, I want to know what is, has got them so up in arms. Yeah definitely we would love to hear that and I'm really surprised in today's world with all the technology that we have that it takes forever for us to get these things every year. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But um, so the last news item under Royal Rundown, while we still don't, and honestly probably never will know what Prince Philip's will says, we do know where it is stored now. It, along with 32 other wills of other senior members of the royal family is stored in a secret London safe in the care of High Court Judge Sir Andrew McFarlane at the Royal Courts of Justice. In addition to Philip's will, it has the Queen Mother's, Princess Margaret's, and the Duke of Windsor's. So I'm not really sure why we're finding this out right now, but cool. That's where it's at. We'll never know what it says, probably. So, huh? I was just laughing about, uh, <laughs> we know where it's at. It's in a secret location. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i well anyway cool i guess um i want to know what it says but i also realize it's none of my business so okay moving into segment two royals around the world we have uh whew, we have a, a whale of a, a new segment in this okay in what i'm calling an unprecedented display of candor Prince Albert of Monaco opened up about his wife, Princess Charlene, disclosing that she is receiving treatment in a facility outside of Monaco. This decision was made jointly by Albert and Charlene with assistance from Charlene's brothers. Albert told people that Charlene is suffering profound exhaustion, both emotional and physical, and that her care will last for several weeks at the minimum. Charlene's return to Monaco according to Albert, quote, went pretty well in the first few hours, and then it became pretty evident that she was unwell, end quote. So, and that's from Albert. So clearing up rumors, he continued, quote, I'm probably going to say this several times, but this has nothing to do with our relationship. I want to make that very clear. These are not problems within our relationship, not with the relationship between a husband and wife. It's of a different nature. 
because I know there are rumors out there. Let me say this is not COVID and it's not cancer related. It's not a personal relationship issue. <laughs> Did you get Jessica that it's not a personal relationship <laughs> issue? Just to let you know. It's not. It. <laughs> <laughs> and if you wanted to, and this back to Albert, and if you want to discuss another speculation, it isn't related to plastic surgery or facial work at all. She had already made her decision and we only wanted her to confirm it in front of us. She wanted this. She already knew the best thing to do was to go and have a rest and have a real medically framed treatment and not in Monaco. This is still Albert, by the way. This is like unprecedented royal candor. Um, no, and we're not even done. Uh, back to Albert. For privacy reasons, it would have to be someplace outside of Monaco. She was very calm and very understanding. She realized herself that she needed help. You can't force anyone to understand that they need treatment. They have to accept that themselves. She was already in favor of it. We knew that. We only wanted it confirmed in front of us. We wanted to tell her that we love her so much and that we were there for her and that the most important aspect for her is her health, that she shouldn't worry about anything else, that we all love her. Still Albert, just for the record. I'm not leaving any of this out because I think this is fascinating <laughs> that we all love her, that her children love her, and that we only want the best for her. Charlene never asked to have these problems, but they are there, unfortunately, and we need space and privacy to address them. So I beg everyone to understand that and please leave my family alone for the coming weeks, end quote. He also said that his faith has sustained him, that he is surrounded by family, friends, and great staff. This is Albert again quoting, I know we're not alone. We have the support and love and friendship around us from these people and by the citizens of Monaco. I know we'll get through this, end quote. So, I mean, that is like unprecedented, refreshing candor from a royal. I actually applaud Prince Albert and Princess Charlene for their strength. Um, as always, we wish Charlene well. And by the way, um, a lot of people are calling this kind of creepy, like trotting the kids out. But uh, on Monica's National Day on November 19th, Charlene and Albert's twins, Gabriella and Jacques, held signs on the balcony that read, we miss you, mommy, and we love you, mommy. That's a dagger to the heart. But um, a lot of people are saying that the children shouldn't be paraded around like that. And that's, you know, I mean... I see it. I see it as sweet, but some people saw it as using the kids as pawns. So, I mean, that is unreal candor. I love your take on all of this. We've been talking about this story for like six months. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, the first thing I want to say is, you know, good for him for making a statement and setting the record straight. Uh, I sometimes struggle with the whole what's appropriate when it comes to royals sharing their personal lives. I think to an extent it's necessary given their platform and their leadership roles. You know, their people expect a certain level of transparency, but I think sometimes the public crosses the line on expecting extremely personal information. And, you know, his statement, I mean, no joke was very lengthy, uh, but I think he did a great job of putting an end to rumors, um, especially about the relationship. Uh, but he was also it's not the relationship. It's not the relationship. It's it's not the relationship. <laughs> so he put an end to those rumors, but he was also still careful to provide, um, you know, not too much information. Um, it, it's enough for us to kind of understand the issue at hand without going so deep that it feels like a violation of their personal lives. So, um, you know, I, I think 
you know, it, it takes me back to a few weeks ago when Her Majesty was ill. There were a lot of people pushing to know more about, you know, what was going on, you know, but really, you know, it kind of brings us back to this, how much of a person's personal health do we really have a right to know? And, um, you know, I think Her Majesty also deserves her privacy. Um, and I think Princess Charlene deserves her privacy now. So, um, really sending many well wishes to the royal family of Monaco, praying for a smooth road to recovery, um, hoping they have a Christmas season that they can enjoy as a family. Um, as far as the kids go, I don't, I don't really know, um, how I feel about that. Um, I guess I could kind of see both sides. Um, I, I certainly think, you know, <sighs> in their home life, if they want to make signs for, for their mom, I think that's really sweet. Did it need to be broadcast? Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm not yeah. sure I have, uh, enough, uh, enough knowledge around that to have a really strong opinion one way or the other. I'll tell you what though, this from back to front, I'm talking like from May into the present day. So six months of this, it's so doggone bizarre. Like there, there, I mean, I say that we have refreshing candor from Albert and that is refreshing candor, but despite that candor, I still feel like there's so much we don't know. And like, we are only getting a, a fraction of this story. And I mean, I have, I think we all have speculations about what it could be. I refuse to say that on air because the, what's going to happen is the tabloids are just going to pick that up and they're going to twist my words. So I'm not even going to speculate, but I mean, he basically ruled everything out, but you know, a couple of, a couple of scenarios here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I just, all, all I can say, and I, I am comfortable enough speaking for you too, is that we wish Charlene well and whatever will contribute to her best physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health. That's what we want for her. Um, sure. but I'm telling you since the beginning, I'm talking about since their wedding day, this marriage has been bizarre to me. And so, um, I promise you that this is going to be though. They will do a crown season about Albert and Charlene in like 20 years. I'm telling you it's wild, but anyway, in much lighter news, I loved seeing two of our favorite European Royal families, the Swedish Royal family, and the Spanish royal family joined forces for a state dinner, tiaras and all. So the Swedish royals hosted King Philippe and Queen Letizia of Spain for a state visit, including a state banquet at the Royal Palace in Stockholm. This marked the first Spanish state visit to Sweden in over 40 years. And I thought everyone looked beautiful. So yeah, I saw the photos. I was, uh, really noticing princess Sophia's dress and her tiara was really mm -hmm. lovely. I love both of those families. Those are two of our favorites and so is Monaco, but I mean, my gosh, Monaco is just a roller coaster right now, but, um, well, anything else for the good of the order before we move into segment three? I don't think so. It's been a great Royal rundown. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we got two weeks worth of stuff. So apologies for some of the outdated news by this point, but I'm so excited for you to listen to segment three with our interview with Christopher Anderson. I think this is one of our best conversations yet. 
And we were thrilled to chat with veteran biographer Christopher Anderson about his brand new book, Brothers and Wives. It is already a bombshell of a book and it just came out yesterday. Actually, it came out today, November 30th. But by the time you're listening to it, it will be yesterday. Take a listen to our conversation. We are so excited to have on the show today, Christopher Anderson, author of the brand new and I'm sure soon to be bestseller, Brothers and Wives Inside the Private Lives of William, Kate, Harry, and Meghan, released yesterday, November 30th. Christopher is a well-known and well-regarded biographer, and this is nowhere near even his first biography of the royals. We tore apart books like 1998's The Day Diana Died, 2001's Diana's Boys, William and Harry and the Mother They Loved, 2007's After Diana, William, Harry, Charles and the Royal House of Windsor, 2010's William and Kate, A Royal Love Story, and most recently 2016's Game of Crowns, Elizabeth, Camilla, Kate and the Throne. To call him a real expert would be an understatement. So welcome to the show, Christopher. We are so happy to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm exhausted just hearing about that. I mean, <laughs> it tires me <laughs> are you like, my gosh, I wrote all of those books. Who did that? I woke up like, well, so obviously, this is certainly not the first time you've written about these two brothers, William and Harry. We just read out your royal titles above. But what what compels you about the two of them, both individually and as brothers? Well, uh, you know, first of all, it kind of horrifies me to say this, but I've been covering the royal family for almost 50 years now. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I yeah. was at, I covered the Silver Jubilee when in, the Queen was 50 years old uh, wow. in London. 20, 25th anniversary on the throne, and, and she's coming up, as you know, uh, by the way, her platinum uh, anniversary is uh, is next year, 70 years on the throne, and that's seven more than Queen Victoria, more than any other monarch. Um, but back to your question about uh, the brothers, uh, you know, it's the family dynamic, but of course it's all cast, it's it's, it's history, it's, it, I call it the world's longest running soap opera, you know, it's, it's uh, got all the great elements uh, that you want in, in a story, and, I, and it's always, you know, there's always a new wrinkle. There's always some new, not just a new scandal, but a new development, a, sadly, a new tragedy, you know? Uh, and so, uh, you know, the story just never, it never gets old. You just can't make this stuff up. That's, that's what we say all the time, Christopher. Do you <laughs> can't make this up because we cover it week to week. And if you right. had told us what would have happened in 2021, we wouldn't have believed you. No, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, look at the Queen's situation. I'm sure she has, it's amazing you know, what she's endured over the over the, the decades, but just in the last year, you know, here she is, she's lost her husband. She's still, we're still in the midst of COVID. We've got, she's got to deal with Brexit uh, and she wants all decks on hand to help her with this. And what does she find when she gets chaos, basically, yeah. uh, handed to her. And uh and she deals with it, you know, and she, she's very businesslike. I mean, when Megan and, uh, and Harry uh, decided to make their exit, uh, you know, she loves her grandson. Uh, she loves all her grandchildren, but she's all business when it comes to the firm. And uh, she said, you, you're either in or all the way or you're, you're out. And I think that's been the approach. And, and it's, it's kind of stunned Harry, obviously. Uh, being stripped of his military ceremonial titles, of course, was a, a huge blow to him. He didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. um, 
almost lost their their HRH status. I mean, they, they were allowed to keep it, but it was touch and go there for a while. So, you know, you're right. Absolutely. A lot of stuff happening in just the last year. Yeah. Well, we know a lot has also happened since 2007's After Diana, which is the last time you wrote about William and Harry together. So I'm wondering what compelled you to write this new book? Well, again, so much has happened and so much is constantly happening. Uh, I think, um, you know, the rift between the brothers is some, and, and, and when I wrote uh, Diana's Boys in 20, um, to 21, you know, they seemed like their union was rock solid. I mean, they would, they would lean on each other very heavily. They, but, but the seeds of their rift really had already been planted. I mean, even in childhood. And I think, uh, you know, we now see the long-term results of that. I mean, going back to Diana uh, and, and uh, how she treated the boys, you know, we all know how she, she was the one who molded them, shaped them. She was the person who took them to the amusement parks and the go-kart tracks and McDonald's and KFC, which was her favorite, you know, fast food restaurant. She also took them to the homeless centers and, and battered women's shelters and that sort of thing. So they are carrying on her uh, humanitarian legacy, but all along, Harry knew he was second best. I mean, there's a poignant photo in the book uh, where, uh, you know, Harry's got his first day at school and he arrives at the school and, and he, he's greeted by the headmistress. He sticks out his hand, this little boy, and she reaches right over his head to shake William and Charles's hand. Yep. I mean, that, that kind, that's the kind of thing. He was in the backseat of the car wrestling with William, uh, told by the nanny, Olga Powell, to just stop it. And, and Harry says at the age of four, uh, you know, William has to behave because he's going to be king, but, but I'm not going to be king so I can do anything I want. And I, so I think that's, that's how long he's known, you know, how long. And of course, the resentment just built up with uh, um, the, the famous Rattlebone in incident, you know, where he was 16 and, and uh, caught smoking pot and, and drinking. And, and man, he was just pilloried in the press. And uh, William's the guy who took him there. And, and yet William got no heat at all. Yeah. The same thing went later on with the uh, wearing the Nazi uniform in 2005 to a costume party. Uh, you know, as you know, the world went crazy when he did that. Well, yeah. William helped get that costume out and William did not come to his defense and he didn't take, again, was not criticized. Uh, and by the time the Vegas uh, incident happened where, where Harry was, uh, you know, in, uh, caught in the nude photographs of him with uh, a girl in the uh, hotel room in Las Vegas, uh, he, you know, he was really starting to crumble emotionally. And finally, William steps up and says, look, this is not right. You need actual help, professional help. And, and he got it because of William. So it took a long time. They just have this interesting back and forth relationship. And sadly, you know, I mean, I think this rift that's going on now really would, would have broken Diana's heart, frankly. Oh, no question about it. And, and, and we're gonna unpack this in a little bit about the air and spare dynamic and how I think that that is a doom to fail relationship right. but um but i, I have we have to go right there probably the juiciest one of the juiciest parts of the book is in the book you answered a question that has had tongues wagging ever since the harry megan and oprah interview back in march you write that it was charles who was overheard by the men in gray suits speaking to wife camilla over breakfast at clarence house 
about mm -hmm. the skin tone of any future children of Harry and Meghan. This is one of the major bombshells of the book. How did you react when you found out? Because the list was, was getting shorter and shorter, right? But it is, in fact, Charles that said those words, according to the book. Right. And I have to say that, you know, this is from, you know, rock solid sources. I was able to track this back to this conversation. And I really have to preface this by saying, well, I'm a grandfather. And I can tell you, we speculate, you know, it, fondly about what your grandkids are going to look like, your color of the eyes, hair, you know, complexion, everything. And that's what was going on then. But this innocent conversation between uh, Charles and Camilla uh, was uh, picked up and, and kind of you know, morphed or, or in this kind of grotesque way into something uh, entirely different. And it got, by the time it got back to Harry, he was very concerned. Uh, he was hearing that, that uh, in fact, there, were, there was talking in, in, among royals about what the, the child's uh, uh, you know, color, skin color might be and how that might affect the image of the royal family. And, and he went back to his family and, and asked them what was going on. And Charles thought he was just overreacting frankly and William supports his father always and uh, and Harry uh, says he was kind of shocked at the talk but uh, that was the genesis of the remark again it's, it kind of absolves in a way absolves the royal family uh, I, racism I don't think exists uh, in the royal family I think it definitely exists in, in among palace officials certain ones uh -huh. and that's how it got back to uh, Harry unfortunately well, the book also clarifies that it was Meghan's close friend and fashion designer, Misha Nonu, that introduced Harry and Meghan in 2016. Can you right. talk about that with us? Uh, well, I mean, it was just uh, that that was, you know, one of those incidents where uh, you know, royal insiders, I mean, it's been, it's been speculated about who did it, but in fact, she was the one hmm. who brought it together. Yeah. So the vast majority of the book, I, I told you we would touch on this in a moment, and here we go, uh, speaks to the relationship between William and Harry as brothers and best friends, their bonds cemented through their roller coaster childhood, their parents' divorce, and of course, their mother's tragic death. They used to be so close. Um, I, I remember, I mean, I grew up with the boys. William was born in 82, Harry in 84, me in 86. So I grew up with them. I, they were, as you've written in your previous books, they were best friends. But with the ever-present royal heir and spare dynamic, there was built-in tension. You write, quote, Harry was never on the Queen's mind the way William was, said one of Charles's deputy private secretaries. It was just understood that William was going to be king and he was the one who mattered. Harry right. was always left on the sidelines. You also write, because he was born to be number two, Harry tried to be number one in other ways as a child. And as an adult, Harry said, they, meaning security officers, officers don't bother about me. I'm not the important one. William is. So right. is the, we saw this play out with Elizabeth and Margaret. We saw this to a lesser degree because there were four siblings play out with Charles and his siblings. Is the heir and spare dynamic doomed to fail, making one brother the obviously more important one? 
I think so. And I think it takes a real emotional toll. Uh, what, what, of course, complicated everything here is, I mean, these kids were raised in turmoil before Diana ever had her tragic accident died. Uh, you know, they were in the caught in the crossfire of their parents. They loved both of their parents, but obviously it was the, you know, one of the, the battle of, of, of Charles and Diana was epic and lasted for years and was bitter and nasty and very public. And here are these two children who have to handle it. And William was kind of Harry's protector. So in a sense, I mean, they, I think you know, the kind of dynamic that existed between Charles and Andrew and uh Anne and um, Edward, it was very different. I mean, they were very different uh, groups of people, the older two, Anne and Charles, the younger two. Uh, there were favorites, of course, the Queen's favorite was always Prince Andrew, but yeah. they never they never could, they never all bonded, even though Anne and Charles were closer, they never bonded to the extent that William and Harry did. But indeed, I think that in the end, and what we saw happen when William grew up. I mean, when, when the two boys grew up, and and Harry was an adult, and he realized, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going. I'm, you know, I've I've always been in the shadow of, of my brother, and I, I've, uh, and I'm floundering. Uh, he coped with it better, I think, than, than Megan. I mean, Megan was somebody coming into this from another world, and uh, you know, Harry was used to being you know, second best. Uh, Megan wasn't. And so that further complicated things. I mean, you know, I've got in the book, you know, you talk about this, um, uh, the bond and, 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 and the, uh, you know, from the early days. I mean, I still am kind of shaken when I, when I read about um, and hear about uh, their reaction to walking behind their mother's casket. I mean, yeah. there's that one, that quote from the, you know, there, there they are walking. He's a 12 year old boy, and 15 year old brother. They're kind of forced to do this walking through the streets of London, and they hear uh, one of, a little girl in the uh, crowd saying, uh, look, mummy, it's, it's the box with the princess, you know? Uh, yeah. It's the kind of thing that I, it's the defining moment in their life, I think, was that walk more than anything else. And they're still living with it. And of course, all the, the um, psychological problems, I talk about their PTS, uh, suffering from symptoms of PTSD in the book, which I don't think has been really dealt with enough, um, mm -hmm. but you're right. Think that that indeed it's it's a really it, it's not good to be put into that kind of air and spare relationship. Is it is it doomed to fail? Is it doomed to go through all sorts of ups and downs? I mean, we'll have to see ultimately if uh, William and Harry can come together again. Well, we've got another relationship that we want to touch on. So in 2010, William popped the question to Kate with Diana's famous sapphire and diamond engagement ring. And we know this ring was originally handed down to Harry after her death, but since Harry was nowhere near proposing to anyone in 2010, he let William have it because as you write, Kate was at this point really special to Harry as well. And um, in more recent years, though, you know, of course the brothers have struggled with their relationship. So we're wondering what is the relationship like between Harry and Kate today? I think it's good. I mean, you know, of course, uh, it's not as good as, as it was. They've always been somewhat close. I mean, she, you know, he's always viewed her as the sister he never had. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, of course, it gets complicated when you have the situation like the one between Megan and, and uh, uh, Kate, and you know, the, the incident where she supposedly made, uh, where Megan supposedly made Kate cry uh, when they argued about whether the flower girls at Megan's wedding should wear tights or not. And in fact, they, you know, Megan said. Kate made her cry, mm -hmm. but Alice kind of spun it the other way to make Megan look like a villain. Um, 
you know, all of the, you know, people, you know, husbands tend to side with their wives or find themselves caught between, the, you know, these uh, the in-laws in these in-law situations. But um, still, I think they're, they're, they're as friendly as one can be. But the problem is um, there is such a distance now between William and Harry. William is not returning Harry's phone calls. William and Harry, Harry, um, Harry's not talking to Charles. Mm -hmm. Charles is pretty much cut him off for the moment. Uh, so it's it's tough. I mean, they've they've made a choice, and um, this the Sussexes have, and and it's a complicated thing. So for a while, Harry was kind of the third wheel to William and Kate, watching mm -hmm. them marry, then begin to have children. All the while, he desperately wanted the same. And then, of course, in 2016, Harry meets Meghan, and he's almost instantly besotted with her um right. in, the book, in the book you quote william telling charles i feel as if i've lost my best friend which right. broke my heart as as harry was suddenly enamored with megan and of course flying to uh canada and and back and forth to be with her is this where our modern day troubles begin i well i think uh yes i think to an extent this is the catalyst for for the, the current rift um, again, I mean, it's, it's something that's been brewing their entire lives, again, because as we said, the, the, the air and spirit dynamic. But, uh, you know, Megan's fascinating. I think uh, the Queen, for example, uh, you know, has got to have some, uh, it's got to kind of be stirring up memories of uh, Wallace Simpson. It, it really has to. I mean, yeah. that, that other American divorce say, you know, um, it, it's just, it's, it's incredibly, you know, she, she was a wild card and injected into all of this. And it's, uh, um, you know, it's been interesting to see how they've handled it or, or failed to handle it. Um, they, you know, the, the, the way they, they made their exit was fascinating. I read about how they um, were negotiating in, in late uh, 2019 uh, to get out, uh, to come up with some sort of a system, a situation where they could, uh, live in the States part-time, be, be uh, kind of part-time royals, wasn't working. And the queen made her statement in the kind of subtle way she does. And that was by, during her Christmas message, which is called the queen's most gracious speech. I love that title. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know that leaving them uh, out of the family, the display of family photographs on the table uh, at Windsor when she makes her tell that it's the dress. And, I, and, and Harry saw it and, and William knew Harry would be hurt by that, you know, someone said it was like he was being erased from the family. Um, so uh, it, indeed, you know, uh, when they made their statement on January 8th, um, I don't know, Megan and Harry were together and stood behind that. Um, but yes, I would say that uh, Megan's entry into the picture, you know, kind of hastened this current split. In your expert opinion, do you think the relationship between the brothers is repairable? Well, that's, I, I do. Um, the trouble is, we'll have to wait and see what other bombshells uh, occur. I mean, you know, Harry is this book in the works, supposedly, supposedly in which he's going, you know, maybe uh, spilling the beans, more, more revelations about uh, his family. Uh, I, I think that uh, his father and, and grandmother and the rest of the royal family are bracing for what's ever there. Uh, they've been hurt by some of the comments and um, statements that, that have been made. Um, but yes, I do. I, I, and of course, we have to look at the, the, the next uh, monarch. I mean, 
preparation. You know, the queen is 95. Uh, we can see she does have some health problems. Um, uh, Charles is already planning for his reign. Uh, and he really was counting on having uh, Harry and, and Meghan uh, standing up with him and, and, and Camilla and William and Kate on, on that balcony at Buckingham Palace. He needed Harry, frankly, to shore up his popularity. I mean, if he uh, is going to have any kind of a reign at all, um, Charles III is going to have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, win over the British public. Right now, uh, I, polls still show that the vast majority of Britons want William to succeed the Queen. That's not going to happen. Um, and, and of course, Charles wants to sell the British public on Camilla as queen, and uh, that's not a popular idea right now. So, uh, I mean, in a sense, Charles needs Harry on board. So maybe as a matter of, uh, you know, uh, expedience, uh, they'll, they'll work out something. Um, on the other hand, if, if Charles uh, holds his ground and kind of digs in, uh, Harry might find himself uh, sidelined because Charles also wants to streamline the monarchy. He wants to, he talks about a slimmed down monarchy in which there are fewer, you know, kicking some royals off the payroll. Uh, and who knows? I mean, uh, Char Harry might remain on the outside forever. It's going to be very fascinating to see how or what changes uh, happen when Charles reigned mm -hmm. again. But um, you write of how Harry wanted out of the firm long before he even met Meghan. Um, you also write of Diana's dreams of moving to Malibu one day, which Harry is, of course, now living out his own California dream. So could you have foreseen this chapter of Harry's life before the January 8th, 2020 step back announcement? Uh, not to this extent. I mean, I, you know, I, I of course, Diana was planning on um, living part-time in Malibu. She and Dodie had the house all ready to go. Um, but, uh, and, and I think she could understand why uh, Harry uh, would want to spend time in the US. It was one of their favorite places, specifically in California, in that part of California. But I don't, I think she would have, you know, been saddened by the fact that Harry has sort of turned his back on his birthright. And I think she would have thought that she was very much one of uh, a person who saw her sons as her revenge, you know, she wanted them to be a, a central play of a uh, full part in, in the monarchy in the future. And um, uh, so I, I don't, I don't think she would, I mean, again, this is my feeling, but I don't think she would necessarily approve of him stepping back uh, so entirely. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. really interested to know what the most exciting or interesting or surprising piece of research you gleaned from writing this book was and my first thought was was it the Charles bit or was it something else we've talked about well the Charles thing is uh fascinating because it shows how you know it reminds me of that children's game of telephone you know where, where somebody whispers something to somebody mm -hmm. by the time it gets to the 10th person it's something entirely different and then this was a huge uh uproar. Uh, I, I was fascinated by the degree to which William, you know, people, everyone's talking about Harry's problems, but William has gone through hell as well. And, uh, you know, he has spoken rather movingly about how uh, uh, depressed he was becoming, uh, kind, of, kind of spiraling into this uh, depression because of the work he did as an air ambulance uh, pilot. You know, he was seeing mayhem and you know accidents on a 
uh, on a daily basis. He was up close and personal, you know, all sorts of death and tragedy. He felt, you know, he said, uh, I feel death is just around every uh, every corner, everywhere I go at the time. And and he, uh, you know, really needed some help. And fortunately, he got it too. And all of this left led to the formation of Heads Together, which is their mental health uh, initiative. I mean, they really, you have to give the brothers credit for breaking down all barriers and walls and, and, sure. and kind of removing yeah, removing the stigma from that. Uh, uh, the whole issue, by the way, of, of suicide is fascinating to me in the royal family because, as we know, the pal even even though you know Megan has a husband. One thing Diana didn't have: Megan has a husband who loves her and is faithful to her uh, and supports her. Uh, but she just does have to go through and has had to go through a lot of the the, the pressures of uh, royal life, which are in, incredible. Uh, and um, deal with the palace intrigue and all of that. Uh, Diana was moved to attempt to take her own life. She threw herself down the stairs at Sandringham. If you recall when she was pregnant with, with William, I mean, she's you know stabbed herself numerous times, threw herself into a glass cabinet. Many suicide attempts that she talked openly about. Um, and along comes Megan uh, 20 years later and says, gee, I felt the same way. Uh, yeah. I was brink of taking my own life. So. You know, these are the people that we, we look at and say, my gosh, they've got everything in the world. You know, what's their problem? Well, you know, um, th there's, a, there's a downside to royal life, big one. To say the least, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so our last question for you is, where do we go from here? If you were a betting man, what would the next chapter of this family entail? Or said differently, what will your next royal book be about if you were a betting man? <laughs> Well, we'll have to wait and see. Well, I, I look, we're looking at a, a transitional phase here. You know, there's that, uh, I think it was revealed when Philip passed away that each of the royals has a, a, a funeral plan, you know, the senior royals. Uh, and his was, uh, the, the, it's all, they're, they're called bridges. So he was the uh, fourth, bridge. Uh, fourth bridge for the Firth of Fourth because he was the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, and the Queen's is London Bridge, but these are more than just, in her case, it's, a, it's really the plans for the transition. And, they, and this has been going on, obviously, for many years now. What's it gonna be like with Charles on the throne? And it's going to follow us, you know, I mean, if the Queen passes away, I mean, she's the most famous human being who's ever lived in a sense. I mean, 99% of the people on the planet have only known a world with, with the Queen in it, you know? That'll be a, a quite, you, it just, we, you know, we anticipate this, she's put, uh, 95 years old, but at the same time, it's gonna come as a shock no matter what. And then of course the shift to, to Charles, there's gonna be all sorts of, uh, uh, I, I, the word intrigue keeps coming back, but there's just gonna be a lot of uh, a maneuvering and uh, all eyes will be on him to see what he does. And uh, uh, given the state of the relationship between uh, the Sussexes and the Cambridges and the fact that Camilla is sitting there, and Charles very much wants to make her queen. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot to write about. <laughs> as much as we've had, ridden a roller coaster in 2021, I believe 2022's roller coaster will be even more uh, up and down. It will be a ride. I agree totally because things are also moving at a much faster pace. I think too, uh, and uh, and then and and uh, Harry and Meghan, you know, they've made it pretty clear that uh, they, they want to be heard and uh, they're going to be, <laughs> I'm sure, next yes, year. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, I wish we had another hour to unpack this book, which is filled with so many insights. Um, listeners, the book Brothers and Wives Inside the Private Lives of William, Kate, Harry, and Megan is on shelves now. And thank you so much for being here today, Christopher. This has been a really, really awesome interview, and we really enjoy talking with you. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure entirely. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed him so much. I did too. It was such a great conversation and he shared so much wonderful, uh, interesting content. I hope our listeners really enjoyed that as much as we did. Yeah, he, he has an invitation to come back anytime. That was that we could, we could have probably talked for another hour. I think we said that after we got off of the interview that he was, he was so compelling and fascinating. So listeners, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. Unless you're trying to sell us Norton 360 antivirus, you can stop emailing us about that. We've gotten probably (laughs) 25 spam emails over the last week about that. We are not interested, but thank you so much for reaching out. And don't forget to follow, rate, and review our podcast, um, episode 47. And what a what an episode. So um, we look forward to chatting with you next week and we hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye.